Jai Jai Sitchitanya Jai Nichananda Jai Adaita Chandanadaya Gauravakta Vinna Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare So today I want to describe a little bit about the culture of uh, that surrounds Lord Chaitanya's movement. Of course, I can't say I have done an exhaustive study, but uh, I can give some impressions, and maybe, maybe later we'll uh, we'll add more to that. Um, okay. So, obviously, at the time of Lord Chaitanya, the uh, predominant culture in India was a Vedic culture. Um, Vedic culture is, may also take uh, different forms over time, but remains uh, committed to following the Vedic literatures. And as such, is is quite consistent in in many many ways. Um, so therefore, we find that the um, uh, for many many generations, the the Vedic customs remain the same. Um, for example, at the time of Lord Chaitanya's uh, appearance, there was an a lunar eclipse. Uh, now, all the people went to the uh, the river Ganges to take their baths in the in the Ganga to uh, to counteract the negative influence of Rahu. So that worldview, uh, that worldview uh, of of an eclipse being Rahu and the, the, the demoniac planet Rahu attacking the sun or the moon. Uh, that is a very old, old matter. Uh, in the, uh, oh. In the, uh, um, okay, start again because In the Rig Veda, there's a reference about Swarbhanu. Now, the Rig Veda is, is considered to be uh, either the oldest scripture, it's like, it's the four Vedas, right? The four Vedas. Um, so whatever way you want to date that, whether you want to date that through uh, modern techniques, or whether you want to date that from the uh, uh, from the Vedic literature itself, uh, but the Veda manifested from the breath of of Lord Vishnu were revealed to Lord Brahma, and then uh, came into this universe through his mouth. Uh, now, uh, 
the Rig Veda, in other words, is uh, in Vedic culture as early as we can go. And uh, in the Rig Veda, there's a description how uh, of a solar eclipse, um, where it is described that uh, that the sun Swarbanu and Asura made a strike at the sun. He's overshadowing the sun with darkness. Um, Indra struck down Swarbanu, and it is said that uh, as um, that that his body was cut in two halves, and the head became Rahu and the trunk of the body became Ketu. And uh, so we, uh, it said the sage Atri, he was able to uh, counteract the effect of this eclipse was described that the the sun was being overshadowed with darkness and red light of the moon was there. So like that, the eclipse was clearly described and it was clearly described that Rahu was, uh, was attacking the sun. Then if we look in the, in the Ramayan, I have here from the Ramayan, when Kara moved with his army towards Ram for the battle, a red colored evening appeared to be descending all over. The sun was covered by a dark colored disc that had red colored corners. Although it was daytime, it started appearing to be evening. The sun was caught by Rahu because of which, which the sun lost its glow and brightness. Various animals and birds started making noises as if it were dusk. Well, so, the, this is the Ramayan 3.23.1, verse 3, verse 5, verse 12. So gives us an idea that uh, this is not, this was still prevalent at the time of, uh, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It was customary practice during a Grahan or an eclipse, which is considered uh, an inauspicious influence, demoniac influence, to counteract this demoniac influence, that something should be done. So something for purification should be done. So since they lived on the bank of the Ganges, it was natural to take baths in the Ganges. Elsewhere, it is said people will give, uh, after the Grahan, they'll give uh, charity to, to sort of ward off the uh, negative influence. So the Vedic culture uh, was was certainly uh, predominant at the time of uh, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There were uh, deities and temples and the whole culture related to these temples. Temples were uh, very were everywhere in society and and people and we see that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he tours South India he visits so many uh, 
different temples and, and that's becoming that's a, a whole experience so all of society uh, was very much centered around the temples and about the the worship of the deity and that in itself that hasn't really uh, um, that in principle hasn't hasn't changed so much we still see these temples everywhere over india and maybe some of them are a bit in neglect but we still see so much worship going on and still so many people thronging to temples and and with a whole uh, following scriptural injunction of worship so these are kind of thousands and thousands of years old traditions right? or if you go by the vedic dating older than that you know these are practices that are also not only going on on this planet but that are going on in higher planetary systems we find descriptions uh, how lord brahma is is worshiping a deity um, all over the universe there are deities there are temples so not only here so in this way we can appreciate um, vedic culture yes um let's see yeah of course uh, and vedic culture means varnashram uh, immediately so these four uh, karmas the, these four varnas have been created by uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Mukha-Bahura-Pada-Ja, uh, according to Guna. Then it is the head of society, the arms of society, the waist and the legs of society, the Brahmins being the head, the Kshatriyas being the arms, the Vaishyas, the waist, and the Sudras, the legs, and also the four, uh, the four ashrams, Sanyasi, the head, uh, the vanaprastha, the arms, the grihastha, the waist, and the um, and the uh, brahmachari, the legs. So, all these things are there. Uh, we're seeing that uh, when Nimai uh, was in the womb of his mother. Uh, somehow or other the pregnancy lasted a very very long time and even uh, yeah even as the tenth month was running child had not appeared uh, so it was uh, becoming an issue and uh, then the grandfather uh, or the father of Sachi Devi she, he did a uh, astrological calculation and he f could calculate that the child was going to appear on on the purnima on the in the 13th month uh, and that was it then so he's in the womb for 13 months now he was uh nilambar chakravarti takur uh, nilambar chakravarti was a uh, not Thakur, Nilambar Chakravarti. That's Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. 
Nilambar Chakravarti. He was a learned, uh, a learned scholar. Uh, as a as a learned scholar, he was uh, uh, he was also conversant with astrology, and we see that he could very exactly calculate uh, the moment a child would appear. So he could do very precise uh, predictive astrology, which is uh, is not so easy. Mm. But uh, but he was very qualified. Astrology was very much part of the uh, of the Vedic tradition. Uh. And yeah, we can uh, ask the question. Uh. Oh, Vedic astrology. How, how old? Mm-hmm. So it said that, uh, yeah, the, uh, Parasar, huh? Rishi Parasar is believed to have written the earliest known treatise on traditional astrology in his Brihad Parasar Hora Shastra. So uh, now, as far as we know, right? So Parasar is explaining, he is then the father of Yas. And he is explaining that he is himself has been Vyas in a previous birth. He's a great and Parasar, of course, he's writing the first treaty about five thousand years ago. But that is the time. You know, that is the time when Kali Yuga is approaching, and everything is written down, which was previously orally uh, passed on. So. We can't take it that the uh, that Parasar's Hora Shastra is the beginning of astrology. We take it that astrology is a lot older than that, and it's part of the whole Vedic heritage. So, in that way, we can appreciate uh, that astrology is very much part of the uh, of the culture of uh, of. Uh, of the Veda, of the Vedic paradigm. And uh, yes, we see astrology appearing in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, not only at the time of, uh, of uh, one second, not only at the time of uh, um, the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's grandfather, uh, but there are also some other uh, references to astrologers. And I'll quickly type that in. Astrologer. So, oh. Astro. What's going on? Why is it not showing up? 
If no, no, I have to. Hmm. Sometimes it's a matter of uh, Jyotish. No. Okay, then you get. Uh, um, Sarva Gyan. Oh. No. Okay, I'll find something, but I didn't find, so we'll have to do that uh, that on a separate uh, occasion. Okay. I thought it would be easy, but for some reason it's not. Um, the uh, first story that is a story of an astrologer who met uh, Lord Chaitanya and Lord Chaitanya asked him if he could calculate who he had been in a previous life. And that astrologer did a calculation and he calculated and and then after he had calculated the position of the uh, of the planets he also meditated on the meaning and he was astounded. He didn't know what to say. And uh, so Lord Chaitanya finally asked him, he said, so what, what are your findings? The Brahman said, like, I, I, I am astounded, but according to my calculations, uh, according to my calculations, you are the the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And Tanya says, no, 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 that's not right. He said, I know actually that in my last life I was a cowherd boy and that in this life I became, as a result of these pious activities, a Brahmana. So in this way, uh, Lord Chaitanya is uh, is responding to the, uh, the astrologer who is not to be distracted. The astrologer is offering his obeisances and is saying yes. Uh, yes, whatever may be, uh, I offer you my, my most respectful obeisances. Uh, accepting him as the, the Supreme Lord. Yes. Yes, there are uh, in this way uh, many, many uh, interesting uh, uh, references. Um, the uh, Lord Chaitanya. Astrology was, in other words, a, a part of, uh, of, of society. Um, not that it was considered the, uh, the, ultimate, uh, the ultimate in life and that it was considered to be transcendental. It was rather um, a material science, right? a material science part of the culture that supported the way of life 
uh, of Vaina Ashram to, to uh, the path of elevation. So we see how this, this Vedic culture is, is part of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life. There's, mm, I'll get to astrology, put it just on the shelf for a moment and take it off later. Um, and, uh, and then we see that there's also uh, amongst Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his associate, transcendental culture. We see, for example, Srivas Thakur and in his house, there is the kirtan going on. And then elsewhere in the house, during the kirtan, the son of Srivas has died. So Srivas, as he goes out of the kirtan for a moment, he is, sees the ladies in the house totally upset that the boy has died. And Sriva said, why? What is all this crying? What is all this crying? Your son, your son has died. He said, like, you know, why, why make such a fuss about that? You know what I mean? Such a trivial thing. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is in our house and chanting the holy name. Uh, so Srivas had a completely transcendental vision and was just not impressed that his son had died. Srivas knew fully, fully well that his son was an eternal spirit soul, that now this soul had been under his care for a while, and that now that the soul had died, that it had moved on to its, to its next destination, and that he had no proprietorship uh, over that son, this is my son, all these things he had thoroughly realized and therefore he was totally absorbed, totally absorbed in, in the absolute truth and therefore he had his priorities right. He fully understood that the event of the death of his son was insignificant in comparison to the, to the event of the Supreme Personality of Godhead dancing in his home. Well, that was, of course, uh, uh, the most amazing transcendental uh, attitude. Mm. So we see both in, in, uh, in Lord Chaitanya. Lord Chaitanya, we see that they live in a setting of Vedic culture. But then within it, there is the transcendental culture. And this is what Chaitanya Charitamrita is showing us. Um, we see uh, the culture of the Bhagavatam. Uh, Krishnadas Kaviraj is describing, uh, he's referring to the second verse of the Bhagavatam, which rejects so many aspects of Vedic culture as Kaitava. Kaitava Dharma, Dharma Artakama Moksha. Uh, all these kind of Vedic activities are rejected as, as being uh, as fruitive. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement is establishing that uh, it is about the worship of Krishna and it is about uh, unalloyed devotional service. Uh, Anyabhilasita Sunyam free from karma, 
and gyan, free from a personal agenda, uh, totally dedicated to the Supreme Lord. So we see how in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, uh, there's a combination of these two cultures. Um, the transcendental culture seated within the Vedic culture, um, like the, the peel of a fruit, and the peel is the Vedic culture, and the interior of the fruit is actually the transcendental culture, the bhakti culture. Um, but uh, we see the Vedic culture carries Varnashram, and we're seeing that um, Sachi Devi, when uh, all the devotees came to the house of Advaita Acharya to meet uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu after he had taken sannyas and was sort of manipulated in that direction of Advaita Acharya's house by Nichananda, then everyone came and Sachi also came to meet him and she was carried in a palanquin, which was appropriate for a Brahmin lady, and Brahmin lady was aristocratic and had, uh, had standards to follow and was not meant to be moving around just like that in, in public. Um, so, so many uh, social restrictions were there. When Nimai was a child uh, and playing with his, his friends, then one day uh, Nimai, uh, they found this nest of puppies and Nimai picked out the nicest puppy and the boys were all fighting, they all wanted one, but Nimai taken the best and then and they were fighting over it. Then Nimai said, no, no, don't worry. I'll take it to my house and we can all play there. So he took the puppy to his house and they tied it up and they were like uh, with the puppy. And then when his mother came, his mother said, what, what is that? You know, you're having a, a dog in the house. I mean, what will people say? This is like, you know, a, your, your Brahmin boy and with the, the dog and such an impure thing. And how can you uh, engage in such dirty things? And Nimai was very attached to his puppy. And anyway, when Nimai went out to play, he told his mother to look after the puppy. And the mother, she let the puppy go. And then when that puppy uh, went uh, at that time, at that time, uh, when Nimai came back home and was very upset that his puppy had just been, been uh, Least, but his mother tried to distract him and pacify him. She fed him very nicely and this and that. Meanwhile, that puppy had become transformed and that little dog was now just totally ecstatic and the dog was chanting Radha Govinda and all the hairs of the dog would, would just be standing on end. And in the end, uh, people, they, they, they saw and people were amazed. Look, this dog, this dog is chanting, this dog is, is just totally ecstatic, what is happening? And a uh, Vaikuntha plane came and that dog was seated on a, on a golden throne and elevated by that plane, the demigods were offering respects and, and in that way that, that dog went back to the spiritual world.
Uh, so this is in, um, found in the Chaitanya Mango of Lochandas Thakur. So again, it shows the the, the setting of the uh, of the uh, of the strict Vedic Varnashram culture. Um, in this talk, uh, I will not get into dress right, because uh, I would have to uh, do a little more research on it. Uh, we do find the word duty about dhotis, right? That dhotis were being weared as duty. Um, we can, uh, we see that Srila Prabhupada uses the word uh, sari um, as an e explanation of, uh, of Srimata Radharani, taking bath and dressing. And as she is described as being dressing, uh, she's dressing in different moods and actually shows how her consciousness is made up. This is part of the Ramananda Rai discussion, and there Srila Prabhupada also refers to the word sari. But the, uh, the, the actual Bengali didn't say sari. Um, so sometimes there is some argument, uh, what clothes were they wearing? So therefore I'll come back with something uh, a little more researched later on. But uh, I do have a, a more general point. Um, and that um, clearly there is the transcendental bhakti culture, which is delineated and defined in the writings of Rupa Goswami. It shows in the sometimes transcendental behavior of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It shows um, in, in the way his associates act. So that, that transcendental culture is there and also and then the Vedic culture around it. Um, I wanted to sort of offer one perspective on the Vedic culture. Um, in the uh, Hare Krishna. Okay, I wanted to uh, to bring up something. Um, just a moment. Um, oh, what was I doing? I picked up the phone and then to find something, and then I forgot why I picked up the phone and what I was looking for because a picture flashed in front of my eyes. So this is what phones do. Um, Anyway, the point, the, the more important point I want to make to you is the point is that ah, the Vedic culture is transcendental uh, to an extent, is like uh, transparent to transcendental culture. Um, for example, Sanskrit. Sanskrit is known as Devanagari. And it is stated that Sanskrit is spoken in the in Vaikuntha. Hmm. Uh, the demigods are speaking uh, speaking Sanskrit. We find that 
there is musical arrangements, we find that uh, Srimata Radharani is, uh, is, is playing a veena. No? Um, so we get descriptions of venas being there. We see how the goddess Saraswati is playing such a transcendental instrument. So the venas are not just instruments of this world. Uh, whether the vena in this world is exactly like the transcendental one, that is again a little different. Narada Muni uh, certainly plays a transcendental vena. He has a transcendental body, and his vena is also transcendental, and he is traveling sometimes throughout the universes, sometimes into the spiritual sky. Um, um, so the point is this, uh, then there are ragas. It is, and this is what I wanted to quickly look up, and that is found in the Sarata Darsani, and, and, uh, of, which is the 10th Canto Commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. And there, there is a reference of uh, 16, no, let me do this, ragas. Yeah, I think I found it already. So there's a passage in the uh, in the Pansajai. Um, As the gopis sang in praise of Krishna, their feet danced, their hands gestured, and their eyebrows moved with playful smiles. With their braids and belts tight, tight, their waists bending, their faces perspiring, their garments on their breasts moving this way and that, and their earrings swinging on their cheeks, Lord Krishna's young concerts shone like streaks of lightning in a mass of clouds. Eager to enjoy conjugal love, their throats colored with various pigments, the gopis sang loudly and danced. They were overjoyed by Krishna's touch, and they sang songs that filled the entire universe. The word nityamana means dancing, honor, or respect. Krishna honored the gopis for their dancing and singing. Raktakanta means the gopis' throats were tinged with various ragas. Sangitasara, an authoritative book on music, says, Tavanta jiva There are as many musical rakas, melodies, as there are species of life. Among those ragas, the 16,000 sung by the gopis are foremost. Hmm. The gopis... Uh, the gopis were very attached to the affection shown by Krishna, and so on. Anyway, this, this thing about the ragas, um, and then... Uh, In the next uh, purport, he goes more into, uh, into these things. The swaras, seven notes of the scale, are born from the srutis. These seven swaras correspond somewhat to the cries of the peacock, chata, goat, crane, cuckoo, stork, and elephant. There are 18 jatas, chromatic combs, which arise 
from these swaras. Jatis are the source of ragas. There are two types of jatis, pure and distorted. The pure jatis are the seven harmonic tones known as sajja, risab, gandhara, madhyama, panchama, daivata, and nisada. When they are transformed, flattened, or sharpened, they are known as distorted vikrita. Though they all sang, Krishna did not sing at the same time. Amisrita, as the gopis. Another meaning of Amisrita is that the gopis sang with pure jatis, not mixed with any intermediate tone. This was possible because the gopis was, because the gopi was singing only these pure harmonic tones due to her supreme expertise. Although she was performing this difficult feat, she vibrated them excellently. Appreciating the skillfully singing of this gopi, Krishna honored her by giving her giving his yellow chadar. Authorities conclude that this gopi was Vishaka. Another gopi, expertly at performing uh, the alap of one song with Dhruvatala, it's a very long note, uh, Krishna honored her with ornaments such as fingerings, jewels, studied uh, necklaces and his own slippers. This gopi uh, displayed even more excellent than Vishaka and was none other than Lalita Saki. Uh, seeing that the gopis were reluctant to bring the ragas and raginis, they sung to even greater levels of beauty. Radha herself then sang, from this we understand that among all the gopis, Radha was endowed with the most excellent and attractive of all glances. So we're now reading from the... Uh, uh, Sarata Darshini and uh, hold on it is uh, in the chapter chapter 33 of the Rasa dance from text 8 and 9 so um, uh, and the, the commentary of Vishwanath Chakraborty Thakur from his writer Darshini. So it just shows something about this music. Um, and we understand that this is coming directly from the breath of Lord Vishnu and is completely transcendental. That the same, the same activities which are there in the spiritual world and now here in the material world. So I wanted to establish that within the Vedic culture, um, there is an element of which is parallel, parallel to the, uh, to the culture of the spiritual world. Um, just as in the higher planetary systems, so many arts and, and crafts are known by the demigods who very expertly play musical instruments, who sing, who speak Sanskrit, uh, whose culture is parallel to the culture of the spiritual world. Of course, the spiritual world is, is more opulent. Anyway, so uh, therefore we see the pure bhakti culture of in the culture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, followed by the uh, or surrounded by the Vedic culture, uh, which is containing many elements of of uh, 
that are transcendental, that are having, that are also descending from the transcendental plane. And then we see also uh, at the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu influences that were uh, that were tatastalaksan, that were temporary, uh, that clearly had uh, a temporary nature of of temporary culture of the temporary material world and um, we also see that uh, that that the emphasis on society in the society was not necessarily on the proper deity we can see that uh, various deities were being worshipped uh, and uh, and in the worship of these various deities, uh, some of the worship was uh, was materialistic. Um, we find uh, in the worship of 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 the supreme personality of Godhead was not uh, clearly established. Um, and even if Lord Vishnu was known, Narayan as the supreme Lord and worshipped as the supreme Lord then still it was rarely understood that Krishna was the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, so in that way, uh, the uh, transcendental culture was also hidden within the Vedic culture. And, uh, and it, it, it remained hidden from very few. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, revealed that hidden aspect the hidden core, the hidden essence of the Vedic literature. Nikamagalpatara galitam falam sukumukat amrita drava samyutam pibata bhagavatam rasamala yam ho rasikababi bavukaha. This is uh, the third verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam which says that Bhagavatam is the essence of all Vedic literature. It describes pure devotional service to Krishna. Vasudeva Paraveda. It is says that um, the ultimate of all the Vedas is, is Vasudev. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. It begins to worship Krishna. So here, Srimad Bhagavatam is establishing Krishna over all other manifestation, over all other deities. That is, of course, the, tra the transcendental aspect of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. Uh, uh, in this lecture, I have only sketched uh, this, uh, this concept of, uh, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pure transcendental culture seated in a, in a shell of Vedic culture which has many elements in it of uh, which are reflecting uh, reflections of the spiritual world. Um, something of the culture of the spiritual world comes into that Vedic culture. Raga, uh, the Bharat Natyam. Uh, when Bharat Natyam, it is said that the Bharat Natyam or the Nata Shastra of Bharata Muni is based on the Gandharva Veda, uh, the 
the Gandharva Veda had many more verses than the Nata Shastra of uh, of uh, of Bharata Muni. The Gandharva Veda was a portion of the Atharva Veda, and it is supposedly to have had, if I remember, thirty-two or thirty-six thousand verses dedicated to this uh, um, to this topic of of Nata, uh, Nata Shastra, or of of the arts of drama, music, and dance, um, and we can see how. Uh, so all this has its origin in the Sruti, uh, and uh, and is not just of uh, not just of a mundane human origin. Um, so, in this way, we see that Vedic culture is a very interesting culture, because Vedic culture is not just an expression of, uh, of human nature according to a particular place and uh, time, place and circumstance, and which then has evolved within a particular climate, within a particular uh, place. Oh. For example, uh, when we go to uh, to uh, to the north in Europe, then we experience that it gets colder and colder, and the cultures obviously adjust according to that. Uh, we see in the north of Finland, Lapland, we see the the local dress um, is actually. Uh, similar to the dress of Santa Claus. Yes, and we see that Santa Claus as a personality has sort of been, uh, uh, yeah, been styled after that Nordic culture. Then uh, when I visited in, in, in there many times in the past, and I noticed the Finnish language, I like language as a means of expression, and language not only as a means of uh, of, uh, of using words, but also to see how the language reflects something of the particular mood of a place. Uh, and I noticed that there are many sounds in the Finnish language which are quite internal. Yeah. Uh, I cannot speak Finnish, but when I was listening to Finnish, it sounded like and it is a language which can be spoken without opening the mouth so much. can be easily spoken with the mouth closed, which fits that climate, which is so cold. Uh, so, uh, if I think about Italian, it is a language of the sun. Right? It is uh, so. In this way, we can see that culture may be an expression according to time, place, and circumstance. But the uh, um, oh, we but the. Uh, 
Vedic culture is not that. Vedic culture may have many elements of that. Uh, on the on its external periphery, there are the uh, there are the mundane influences. Uh, Bengali cooking, uh, Gujarati cooking, uh, you know, oh, dosa, uh, South Indian cooking, uh, uh, chola, batura, uh, uh, you know, chickpeas and, uh, and and like big fried puris for the north where it's colder. So uh, climate and diet uh, are things that obviously. Uh, have a correspondence. Uh, the influence of time on the Vedic culture is there. The influence of the yugas is there. Uh, uh, in Satya Yuga, the, the mode of goodness, in uh, Treta Yuga, uh, other gradually passion starts and ignorance comes in and there's a need for Varna Ashram in the uh, uh, Dwapara Yuga, um, we see that at the end of the Dwapara Yuga in the battle of Kurukshetra, uh, Dharma is, uh, is, is broken many times in the Mahabharata, uh, in the fight, when the war become, when the battle of Kurukshetra becomes, uh, the, the various heroes have become so attached to, to the result of their activities that they sacrifice dharma, which means that uh, that is not the appropriate standard for Exatria, who is meant to uphold dharma. But in the passion of the moment, it can happen. Mm. And then, uh, yes, and even, even uh, yeah, even Dronacharya become became compromised. Um, anyhow, so the uh, over time the uh, the Vedic standards may water down, may have lost its substance. People may have lost the, the personal character, may have lost the uh, the high level commitment. And so, on the external periphery of the Vedic culture, more and more external ritual, less and less actually substantial following, then uh, misinterpretation, deviation on the external periphery of that Vedic culture. And, and with that, it, it, the Vedic culture has also uh, been covered with a layer of, uh, of of degradation and of temporary uh, mundane influences. But at the core of Vedic culture remains, uh, remains that descending element of elements that descend directly from the spiritual realm uh, into that culture, Sanskrit ragas and, and musical instruments, arts, dance, uh, shilpa, uh, architecture, so many elements of that are entering into the Vedic culture. And in that way, it is very interesting 
and very unique. And uh, it would be a, a discredit, a discredit to the integrity of the Vedas um, to just see the Vedic culture as a culture or that came about according to uh, a historical development, according to time, place and circumstance. That would be diminishing the uh, influence of Veda. Um, I'd like to uh, develop this team more uh, with uh, more research, more evidence uh, for, uh, for my book. Uh, all right. So today I've spoken a little bit about cultural setting. Uh, the central core of the pure bhakti, which is there within Vedic literature, but Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu revealed where the pure activity of the spiritual world comes together with the activity, with the pure essence of Vedic culture. And then we see the Vedic culture around it. Mm. And which has its, uh, its, its, its core of Shastra as it is revealed. And then we can see a whole peripheral culture around it with some uh, compromises and deviation according to time, place and circumstance. Um, that is there. We are, um, particularly interested in the pure transcendental culture. Um, and, uh, one question may be asked, um, when Krishna appeared on this planet 5,000 years ago, um, Krishna appeared and performed his pastimes. And these pastimes, they were uh, unique pastimes that are performed in the material world. Krishna killed so many demons and so on. Now, uh, at the same time though, somehow or other, when Krishna appears, uh, just then, in that particular vicinity of Vrindavan, uh, just then, the local culture has developed to a point where it corresponds with the culture of the spiritual world, at least externally, the same dress, the same, the same cooking, the same, uh, all these preparations that that are being cooked and so on. These, the milk, the yogurt, the churning, the, the, all these activities are going on eternally in the spiritual sky. When the residents of Vrindavan, uh, when, uh, when after the Ekadasi, the Dwarasi, Krishna took his, uh, Nanda Maharaj took his bath to break the Ekadasi, was too early, was arrested by the servants of Aruna, was brought before Aruna, Varuna. Krishna went to save Nanda Maharaj. Varuna recognized Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. After so many lives, finally, finally, I'm getting the darshan of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. 
wants to offer prayers, but Krishna says, thank you, Varuna, but no time, got to go now. Takes Nanda Maharaj, goes back. All the residents of Vindavan were in great anxiety. Nanda Maharaj, Nanda Maharaj going to the river are now authority said that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then Krishna showed, uh, showed uh, Goloka to the residents of Vindavan who saw that it was no different from their own village, other than that the Vedas personified were there to, to show that there was a distinction. But for the rest, everything was the same. Right? So the culture, the culture of Vrindavan 5,000 years ago was just the same as the spiritual world when Krishna was performing his transcendental pastimes in Vrindavan. Then, <clears throat> when we are taking it that the um, 500 years ago when Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared, <coughs> obviously uh, there are differences. Um, there are differences. Also the culture 5,000 years ago, there are some differences in descriptions of the spiritual world. It's not that there were jewels visible everywhere, but so many of these things were also there. Mm. And 500 years ago, we can understand that many of the elements in the culture uh, that were manifest just at the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also exist eternal. Uh, there are long descriptions of cooking when we go into the house of Sarvabhom Bhattacharya. Uh, mm. So it's like mentioned here that first three months of, of cooked rice, um, it says almost, uh, okay, it's, it's, it's like added on almost six pounds was poured onto a big banana leaf. Mm. Uh, yes, it was like, uh, so it describes all this rice and then said, then the whole stack of rice was mixed with so much yellowish and, yellowish and fragrant clarified butter that it began to overflow the leaf. There were a number of pots made of the bark of banana trees and the leaves of the kea plant. These pots were filled with various cooked vegetables and, and placed on all sides of the leaf. Mm. There were about 10 kinds of spinach, a soup called sukta, which was made with bitter neem leaves. Um, this sukta is helping to, uh, to uh, take the bile out of the stomach. Uh, a pungent preparation with black pepper. Uh, then it is said, uh, bodhis, uh, chanabada. Chanabada is a, just a daibada, daibada, a chanabada. Mm. Uh, so these these bodhas, these uh, 
are made of fried dal or fried chickpeas and then uh, with some sauce, sometimes a yogurt sauce, and buttermilk with small fried pieces of dal, um, uh, bodigola, yes. So, chana butter, uh, bowls of, uh, of, of fried, uh, fried curd. Um, there were, uh, okay, dukdatumbi, I don't know, dukdatumbi, but it's a squash cooked with milk, dukdakusmunda, pumpkin cooked with milk, um, vesera, preparation made from chickpea flour, uh, lafra, a combination of several vegetables. So this is still very standard in Bengal today, some lafra, some sukta, some bodhis. Um, this is still the kitchen today. Different types of sak are described. Uh, we, uh, okay, I don't have that in front of me now, but I read it the other day, the heilanche sak, the achutta sak, uh, the different kinds of spinach. Some give long life, some give love of God. So my point here again is these descriptions of Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami, of these uh, preparations are describing the typical preparations of Bengal. And um, these are, are the typical, uh, says, and here it says, Rasala Maita Dadi, Sandesha Pare, Goda Utkala Jatta, Bakshira Prakar. Other preparations included a very delicious churned yogurt and a variety of Sunday sweetmeats. Indeed, all the varieties, all the various eatables available in Bengal and Orissa were prepared. Um, but these are not just, these preparations are not just limited to Bengal and Orissa. Um, in the spiritual world, Krishna eats Sandesh. And Sandesh is there also in, in the eternal abode of Lord Chaitanya. So many of these preparations are actually also eternal. That is part of the eternal culture. So some of the culture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's eternal activity was also mentioned, is also present there in the pastimes of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And we cannot just see these uh, descriptions of the cooking in the house of Sarvabhum Bhattacharya as, uh, as just the mundane culture of Bengal and Orissa. Mm. All right, that is my thesis that I'm presenting to you today. And uh, I will uh, come back, come back in written form on this topic with, uh, with more evidence to strengthen uh, this, this, uh, this point of view. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Chaitanya Charitamrita Ki Jai, Ananta Kutti Vaisnava Vrinda Ki Jai, Nittai Gaur Pemananda.